Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. Today, I'm excited to be talking to Matt Desmier, who is currently Business Engagement and Knowledge Exchange Manager for the Faculty of Media and Communication at Bournemouth University. I say currently because Matt is a man of many talents, who has occupied a number of positions over the years, and thanks to his creative brilliance, fulfilled those roles with considerable success. Those of you that know Matt will equate him in being instrumental in establishing one of the UK's leading creative and digital economies right here in Bournemouth, as well as his time at the Enterprise Biblion, an incubator that saw an astonishing 75 businesses launched within just five years, and spectacularly those businesses experiencing a 95% survival rate. Matt has that special blend of creative and business acumen, which makes him a renowned and sought after problem solver. He's also an expert in hosting events and has a lot to say about the events sector and the direction in which that is headed. He also speaks openly about his struggles with depression and how his entrepreneurial life, and by his own omission, his own ego, led to his breakdown of his marriage. Thankfully though, that story has a happy ending as you'll hear during the course of our conversation. It is a really great episode, fueled by Matt's energy and sharp takes on a number of different subjects. I know you'll enjoy the show. Welcome, Matt, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here, Warren. Yeah, I'm really excited about our conversation today because I think there's so much to cover. There's, you know, the creative, the digital sectors, there's how you have evolved as an individual, the effects it's had on you. There is your passion for events. There is so much to discuss, but we should really kick off for what most people in the kind of conurbation will know you for is that you were instrumental back in the early 2000s to, you know, onwards in being creating what is known as one of the leading digital and creative kind of economies within Bournemouth with some of the support you gave and the connections you made and all of those kind of things so I really should probably just start with that obvious question what really excites you about the creative and digital sector Matt? The correct well okay so the creative and digital sector on on mass you know I I trained as a designer you know so I spent I went to art college I did five years at art school um I wasn't the world's greatest designer, but but what I did learn was about problem solving and how creative a creative approach to problem solving about looking at things in a slightly different way. Yeah. Um, and I guess from that, that was what really excited me. You know, you can see there's creativity in all industries, but when you have pure creativity and that the the way in which that mind works. And the way in which it approaches 
issues and problems and hurdles and it comes at things from a slightly different angle that that gets me going i i enjoy that sort of thing okay so is it so because I, I know you've you know you've said on your website and i've seen you write blogs and mentioned it before you really see that you see the world through this kind of different lens <laughs> when did you really become aware that that was the case oh god that was probably as a kid right <laughs> It's been there from day one. Yeah, when everyone around me was saying, that guy's weird. Um, <laughs> no, I, look, I think it was that art, it was that art, school, okay. that art school experience. Five years of just a free reign to think about things in a different way, to be surrounded by people who think differently. Yeah. So it gives you that freedom, right? You don't feel yeah. constrained. You, you, you are actively pushing against doing things the way they've always been done yeah so it makes you think you know there's got to be a better way of doing this okay and and so i was taught the skills of how you analyze a problem how you think about it how you how you see it in its environment and the ethnography of of the the context that sits around something and how those things all influence it and so I, I see the world through rose-tinted spectacles, yeah. but I see them from a real helicopter place as well. So I, I love thinking around something. So what really interests, interests me about you then is there's a lot of people that do go to arts university or become designers and do the creative, but they can't always then bring that into the real world and join the dots up. So what makes you have that ability, you think, to then have that free thinking, be creative, see the world through a different lens, but bring it into the real world and make things happen. It, right, so this is, this, this is all my dad's fault then. Okay. So, so growing up, my, my dad worked uh, as a software engineer and he was very fortunate, or we were very fortunate, that he worked for a company called Schlumberger and he ended up being the managing director there and he was constantly going to America. Okay. Back, he commuted. He commuted between Wimborne and San Jose. Uh, and so he was in Silicon Valley in the like, late 80s, early 90s. And I was seeing all of that stuff. But he, he's a manager. He's a, he's a finance yeah. guy. So he he's saw, very analytical. Yeah, and... and I had that analytical thing from him. Obviously, as a kid, I'm reacting against it. So I want to do anything yeah. but be analytical. Yeah. But, but I could see the processes that he went through and applied okay. things. So then, you know, I, I rebelled. I went to art school eventually. Um, but coming out of that, I, I, I knew I wasn't the world's greatest designer, right? Yeah. And so I needed to get a job. And I had a degree. But I figured that's not enough. I wanted a master's degree. Yeah. So I, did a, I then did a master's degree in corporate communication, uh -huh. which was international branding. And that was the business side of things. So, that, so I've got the creativity there. Yeah. But then I went to a business school and I learned the business mechanics okay. of something. And then I had that ability to put <clears throat> one plus one together and create something. And, I was, and again, right place, right time. Uh, I worked for Business Link Wessex. Yeah. So I was part of the innovation team at Business Think Wessex and they, they encouraged me to go into businesses. So I'm working alongside straight business advisors, people who are running manufacturing businesses or, or retail businesses who have a, a set number of steps that they've got to go through, they've got a plan. And I'm coming in there with a crazy art school brain going, why don't we try it like this? Yeah. Let's try it like this. 
and I guess uh, personality won through, and they went, yeah, okay, okay, we'll give it a go. We'll, we'll do what you've just said. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, moving through your career, you then, you know, one of the successes I think that I recognise you for is that time you spent with the Enterprise Pavilion. Yeah. And that kind of incubator. And, you know, even now that you look at, you know, businesses locally like Adido, Three Sided Cube, Crowstar, I mean, these significant employers in the area all came through that incubator in at the Enterprise Pavilion. Yeah, I mean, that was a wonderful, wonderful time. Yeah. So what was that role really like? So... So I'd, I'd been working for Business Link Wessex, part of the innovation team, and, and our, my role there was as kind of a university engagement person. I was the one who was going into the universities and looking for the spin-out companies and those sorts of things. Okay. And then I'd end up writing marketing plans for them and business plans, and we'd go and raise funding through angel or VC investment. So I had that connection, and I remember... Back before he was at Dorset Chamber, Peter Scott. Okay. Back in the day, Peter Scott was uh, the head of business development for Arts University. And I'd had a conversation with him as they were digging the ground out for this enterprise pavilion. And he just said, I think you'd be great at this. And and me being me went, yeah, yeah, I think I'd be great at that too. So, so I, I got in right at the start. I think when I, when I took over running the Enterprise Pavilion, there, was, there were two, two tenants, Adido and Quostar. Ah. They were the two tenants. And then we ended up in the five years that I ran it, we filled it. We launched 75 businesses over those five years. 75? With a 95% survival rate. You know, it was uh, the the stats unheard that we had of, were yeah. unheard of to the point that myself and Stuart Bartholomew, who was the then principal and chief exec, were invited to Brussels to give a talk to the European Commission on how, how have you made this thing a success yeah. where no one else can. And I've got to ask that <laughs> obvious question then, haven't I? Really, it's you know what was different about that enterprise pavilion as an incubator that created those successes. So uh, I I suppose there's two things. One was uh, we made it really difficult to get in. Okay. okay. So I had the because we it was a funded place and we were part of a university and I didn't have to worry too much. I I had targets and I had a P and L sheet and yeah. I had to I had to stay in the black, but I didn't have to worry too much about generating okay. profit because yeah. it's a university, so they're not allowed to. They're a charity, so I had a I had a certain amount of freedom. So. I could quite happily sit on empty rooms. I didn't have to fill it. Yeah. So I made it difficult to get in. You had to have a written business plan. And then I sort of told you, ah, oh, there's a waiting list. And I made you wait three months. I kept a conversation going. Okay. And then when you could come in, I made you share a room with someone. These were, I made these hurdles yeah. because I wanted the right people. The success of the building would be predicated on the right community of people in the building. And they had to understand that this was a real opportunity. They had to have a plan. They needed to grow. It was about collaboration. They were all creative and digital companies. So there was an awful lot of collaboration that went on. So if I made it difficult to get in, the the also-rans who were like, I'll go to to Regis, I'll go to wherever arena whereas the ones that said no we we get the benefits of being in here 
So, um, so I weeded out the wheat from the chaff that way. But then once they were in, I, I threw everything in the kitchen sink at them. Right. I had a marketing department that acted on their behalf. We did business development on their behalf because, and this was the other reason, my ego meant that my success was predicated on the success of the people yeah. in there. So, and I wasn't about to... to fail or yeah, not succeed no, or... No. No, so, so, yeah, well, I'd, put, I'd put on events. I'd, I'd go out and go to every networking event possible. And as soon as there was an opportunity, I'd go... I know the guy you need for that. They're in the Enterprise Pavilion. Yeah. Or, you know, Molly Regan's doing this wonderful stuff with textiles. You should come to the Enterprise Pavilion. So you really created this kind of ecosystem around them yeah. and not just, you know, it I wasn't suppose, just a, about a co-working the... space or an easy no. route to start a business with a bit of support around it. It was an ecosystem. It, it, it wasn't so much about the individual businesses. It was about a collective of yeah. businesses that we're, you know, so... We'd only ever have two or three graphic designers in there. We'd only ever have two or three web designers in there. There's only ever two ad agencies in there. So they weren't competing. Yeah. They were able to share resources. They were able to share experiences. And I also spent a lot of money on bacon. <laughs> so every, every Friday morning, we'd have bacon sandwiches. Yeah. And it forced people into the same room. And they connect. Yeah, you'll be talk. surprising how alluring the smell of bacon, <laughs> bacon, bacon can be. You only need a, to be walking down the street and smell it on a Sunday morning, <laughs> don't you? Where's my breakfast? Um, and those connections, do you think, have stayed? Do you, you know, when you do, you reflect now on you know we've talked about three or four of the successes, but do you, those business still connect with each other? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can see, you know, so look at, at, at James and Rob from Quostar. Yeah. You know, they're still out and about, treading the boards of yeah. all the networking events. I know that they still speak to some of the guys from Adido. They'll still speak to a guy who used to be at uh, Thinking Juice, and he now works for a for a major um, financial services company. And they're probably supplying the back end systems to those guys. Yeah. And it was about creating those connections. Yeah. This is. That was why I forced people to share an office. Yeah. If you could just afford an office on your own, then you're probably not the person we want in the building. I want you to speak to people. Yeah. And it was so those connections exist and, and you know, it's testament to the quality of the businesses that came out there that they're they're still going now. It's brilliant, isn't it? And yeah, but it's you know, one of my allergies is you put like minded people together and great things can happen. You know, yeah. it's just this it's you know it's, it's fairly <laughs> it, simple sometimes. It sounds like common sense, yeah. right? but I, again, back to my dad, I remember when, in my early days at Business Link and I was talking about writing some marketing plan for a, for a startup and I was just there sat at home doing it just going, this is, this is just common sense, Dad. I am literally just writing common sense. And he went, no, no, it's common sense to you, but this is Greek to someone else. Some, some people don't think like this. Don't underestimate the fact that you find it easy, it's of huge value to someone else. So where do you sit on that business planning bit and writing a business plan? Because there's this kind of like, there's on one scale, people don't plan at all. And on the other scale, they can do this kind of 200 page document that kind of gives a thud on the desk, yeah. gets put in a drawer and ignored. So where do you sit on that business plan, planning kind of process? And what does a good process look like for you? So... So for me, it was, I want you to commit something to paper. Okay. Uh, I don't care if it's one page, two page, 20 page, 200 pages. Yeah. I want you to commit something to paper because the, the pro, you can think about, I think about stuff constantly all the time yeah. and I've got thoughts buzzing around my head. But when I write them down, 
there's a I, I move into a different kind of thought process the other the other right hand side of my brain takes over and I yeah. have to link things together and you start connecting the dots when you write stuff down and so what all I wanted was someone to go I've got this wonderful business idea I was like brilliant write it down because that process of writing it down will make you see the problems, yeah. will make you see the hurdles. And it will, you know, you might, might not resolve them. You might just write a list of, I've, I ought to think about these things, but it makes you think about it. So, y yes, I think a business plan should have a beginning, middle, and end, right? No, yeah. no one ever gets in the car and just goes, I'm going to drive. Yeah. Right, they'll have a destination in or in, in in mind. mind. Yeah, and so it's like right. Well, if I'm going there, then I can probably take this route, yeah. or ah, oh, then I'd hit some roadwork. Like, now I've got to change route, yeah. but at least I had an idea of where I was going. That's all I'm ever interested in in a business plan. Fantastic. So you had that time, you had that role, and then you stepped out into the kind of world of entrepreneurship and and going going alone. So. Yeah. What led to that and how did that feel? Because you went from being part of a corporate kind of public sector entity into stepping out into the world. Yeah, I'd, um, I'd been working, I'd, I'd done, I don't know, four years at Business Link. I'd done five or six years at, at Arch University. I did a brief stint at, at uh, Southwest Screen, which was part of the Film Council as it evolved into Creative England. And all that while I was... I was advising businesses and I was seeing what they were doing. I was like, you know what? I, I can do that. I can do that. And what, what originally when I, when I first launched Wise Old Uncle, the idea was I would work with one digital agency, one design agency and one film company. And I would create an umbrella big ad agency. I can go and raise, generate new business for these three guys. Uh, and that was the original plan, just mm -hmm. because my wife and I just had our second child. I was driving all over the place. I was getting up at six in the morning and commuting to Bristol, uh, not getting back till eight, nine o'clock. And I yeah. wasn't seeing the kids. And I was like, I didn't have kids to not see them. Yeah, so I just not wanted, in existence. Is I, it? Wanted, I wanted some more control. At the same time, I launched Silicon Beach, yeah. the conference. And that became all consuming and there was no way i was going to be able to do that for anybody else that you know yeah. the way i ran it the way i delivered it the things that we did that that wouldn't have worked with me working for someone else it's interesting because i was going to talk to you about silicon beach and that conference and you know you also did meat draw and you got yeah. that off the ground with some others and stuff but your events always seem to be challenging the norm <laughs> so what do you think makes a good business event a good business, I guess. I guess it's having a focus, right? Yeah. And it's about Bournemouth or the 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 urban conurbation of South East Dorset, BCP. Call it whatever it will. It's it's a relative. Although what are we the ninth or tenth largest urban conurbation in the country yeah. now? But to all intents and purposes, it's quite small. Mm. And and I've seen you at countless events, and we always see the same people yeah. at all the same events. So I just didn't want to organise another one of those events. Yeah. I wanted something that would get people talking about it. You know, I wanted... So, marketing in an event is incredibly hard. So that generating a fear of missing out, generating something that will live on beyond 
beyond the, the, the couple of hours that you're in a room together, you want those people that were in the room to go away and talk to their friends and mm. colleagues about it. So they become your advocates. They become your evangelists. They sell the event for you. Because yeah. what I didn't want to do is just constantly pump out a, an email newsletter and, and reinvent the wheel every ticket, single ticket, time. Yeah. So it was like, right, if I create something different, then people will gravitate towards it. If I create more than one thing, so I, I didn't start Meat Draw, but I got involved quite early on, and then I launched uh, Silicon Beach, and then uh, that's the way to do it, and open source, and, and numerous other events. The idea was then that I become synonymous yeah. with what a good event is, so that if I put something on, you know, that's the branding thing in me. Yeah. They'll always associate me. Right, it's going to be different. Right we need to go to that event. Yeah. And so it becomes easier to easier to get people to come. Um, given this post-COVID world and everything happening online or not, whatever the case may be, where do you think the event sector is going? That's an interesting question, right? Because I, look, wait, when, I was, when I was running Silicon Beach, um, I promoted it in fact, when, when myself, George and Giles uh, were, ran open source as well, our other alternative networking event, the, th the thing that we put out in the world, the product, as it were, that we were presenting to people were the talks, were the people that were speaking, yeah. the things you're going to learn. But that's not why people come. People come because of the connections and the networking and all of those things. But I couldn't sell that. You can't sell a network. It's an intangible, yeah. yeah. So, so the carrot you dangle is the people that are going to be speaking there. Uh, but the experience that people are coming for is everybody else in the room. And one of the things that I found during the great pandemic and the lockdown was we tried, people tried to move that offline experience onto an online world yeah and we'll be start presenting his so-and-so speaking he's yeah. bob here's sue here right. they go yeah <clears throat> and what we then lost was the actual intangible the networking bit and then it becomes well actually if i'm gonna see so-and-so speaking i could just go on youtube yeah. and there i can see that talk 101 times so the value exchange i'm not gonna pay for that because i can get it free there so I stepped away. I wasn't going to get involved in that. That's just not my bag. Last week, I had the pleasure of programming uh, the British Interactive Media Association's annual conference. And so I'd been working on it for about six months. And when they came to me and said they wanted to do something, they said, we're going to do it hybrid. And I was like, no, well, I'm not interested. Yeah. You know, actually, Categorically, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to do that. I can get you some amazing people to be the speakers. And I had some Martin Sorrell did the opening talk and we had him interviewed by four students from various universities. I had the head of brand for Google in the UK. I, you know, it's a phenomenal lineup of people. But the really exciting part of the event were the networking breaks, was the lunch and the yeah. coffee break. And you could see people engaging and speaking to each other and the connections being made and then when you see that writ large out across social media across twitter and linkedin the write-ups on linkedin it's about the people that they met yeah and so it's like i need to get back to that i it's think great the energy the yeah. it's energy that's the word yeah. it's the energy and i think the problem with online events is that energy is sucked out of the room yeah we sat at home with a laptop in front of us 
We've potentially got an iPad going here. You've got your kids running around there. The TV might be on the road. You've got so many distractions. Yeah. It's so it's easy. You're not engaged in the same way, are you? And I'm, and then, you know, they might shift to a network, an online networking space, but it's really painful. Yeah. You know, I sit in my new role now at, at Bournemouth University. We do lots of, of online meetings. And... They're laborious. They're tiring. They're really tiring. <laughs> yeah. Sitting, sitting in a in a teams room with six other people, trying to speak over one another yeah. and and managing the chat. So I, I need just, a nap. Just need you. Know, but I think both of us, <laughs> our arms are flying in there. Yeah. 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 Listen, you know, we're, we're body language people, yeah. aren't you? And you just can't convey that I, on look, Zoom. Ninety percent of our communication yeah. is body language, and it's just not happening online. So I believe, I look, I get that there is a space for it, and I'm embracing it and learning opportunities. I did some brilliant online courses during lockdown, um, and I would do them again in a heartbeat. But I didn't network with anyone. I didn't no. meet anyone. You're going there for something, a different purpose, yeah. though, weren't yes. you? Yes. To increase your knowledge and intellect. And it was because I understood why I was going there. So, yeah, I get it. Look, we can have brilliant speakers online and, and there might be some connection. But I just don't think it's a business model that pays dividends. So is this you opening the door to new events? <laughs> well, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I am now the oh, it's the world's longest business title. So I am the business. I've got it written down. Yeah, no, no, oh, it's don't, quite long. Don't. It's <laughs> business engagement and knowledge exchange manager for faculty of media and communication at Bournemouth. Yeah. Uh, effectively, I've got to go out and engage businesses and sell. Uh, the expertise within one faculty and and that it's the national center of computer animation it's the media production team it's the advertising communication it's a law school and it's going to be event driven i'm going to i'm going to launch some events you know they already have them the bfx yeah. festival i'm going to get involved in that and see if we can raise its profile again back to its glory days from before i want to bring in some more speakers i want to you know the university for all for all its uh, benefits to the community, I think it's been a bit of an ivory tower and slightly mm. impenetrable. Uh, I want to break those barriers down. It's interesting, isn't it, generally, about this kind of gap of understanding and resistance. And it's both ways. It's two ways between the private and the public sector. And I think between the kind of entrepreneurial and academic sector, it's even worse. And it, I say it's two ways. There's like a lack of understanding or a lack of engagement or a lack of what how each can help each other. So that's something you're going to have to break down, isn't oh, it, in this new world? And how are you going to do that? Well, so so the thing that always gets me is when when I when I speak to companies and like look, we can't get the graduates, like we can't get we can't recruit gra decent graduates out of the university. How do we get in front of them? I'm like you're forgetting the university's point. Yeah. Its purpose is academic rigor it is there to extend the knowledge of an industry base it's about research it's about you know pushing the boundaries of what that subject is about it's not a vocational center yeah. it's not a conveyor belt well, of people, talent yeah. now there is a conveyor belt of talent that comes through it but i don't think it's it's not the university's number one reason for being now with the introduction of my role and, and, and three other peers that are in similar roles in different faculties, I think the university has recognised that it needs to better link with, with industry. 
so how am I going to break those barriers down? I'm going to invite people in. I'm going to try and create those better links. You know, those poor, those poor academics, whether they're doing teaching and learning or research, you know, that's been their focus. Mm. And again, the lockdown caused their world to change and they had to adapt. So they haven't had the time or inclination to build these links. I think it's incumbent upon me to yeah. build those links. Fantastic. Great answer. And, and I'm excited and, by it. And what's really interesting is, like you say, you're one of four, aren't you, that have yeah. recently been appointed or, or in Yeah, post. so I, I'm, I'm in the Faculty of Media and Communication. Uh, Finn Morgan is, is in the Faculty of Science and Technology. Rachel Clark which is, is at the Business School. And, and Marianne is is within the health and health and social. So there sciences. is a real commitment by the university to go out and absolutely, engage. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and you know it's being led at the front by by Ian Jones, who I'm sure, yeah. you know, well everyone locally will have known him because he's been in yeah. every meeting going. So he's he's kind of leading the charge. Brilliant. Yeah, but it's it's testament to the university recognizing that it needs to change. So, you have gone full circle, haven't you? And we talk about the journey and the evolved to succeed kind of piece and everybody's on their journey and you've gone full circle from, you know, that kind of public sector, slightly corporate world, kind of um, into that entrepreneurial space for a significant chunk of time, succeeded in that world and now you're coming back into yeah. the kind of public sector. Yeah, I mean... How the, does that feel? I... So I'm excited by the challenge. It was what you know. I I think, I think I'd become exhausted. You know okay. that run, it's tiring running it? your own business yeah. and and the pressures that come with that. Um, and look, mine was mine was a one man band. I call it a business. It was me. Right? Yeah. Yes, I had a limited company, but but it was me. And so I was doing everything. You know, I I was working with lots of collaborators, but it's exhausting, and. The role that I'd had previously at Arch University when I was head of enterprise, right? Mm. I was business engagement and knowledge exchange manager for Arch University. Um, this, the timing was just perfect. This role came up at the university. I'm like, you know what? I think I, think I can enact some positive change. Um, it will, I, I haven't gone into it because, you know, I needed a job. I've gone yeah. into it because it was a job I wanted to do. It's a belief yeah, that you can make it, a difference. It, this, yeah, this is about my personal values, right? Yeah. I need to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. And that means I don't want to be dreading the next day. I don't want it to be about the money, although I want to make sure the, the mortgage is paid. And got to be financially <laughs> secure. <laughs> yeah. And I've got to be excited by it. So the opportunity, you know, the... The expertise that exists within that university and and its potential to help the business community of Bournemouth, Christchurch and Paul and wider to grow. I think, you know, economically we're in a really weird, unstable mm. time and there is a hell of a lot of support that an institution like the university can lend to the local business community that will enable it to weather whatever storm is ahead of us. And and I'm going to be excited that my name is is part of that story. Yeah, I'm, I'm, my name's there. I'm, I'm the guy making that happen. Brilliant. And again, you've been really honest over the years, and I hope you don't mind us talking about it now, about 
perhaps your own struggles at times yeah, yeah from your own mental mind. health you know perspective and maybe it comes back through seeing the world through a different lens <laughs> I don't know but how have those periods in your life where you've had some of those mental health challenges and perhaps you know if you're okay please do share yeah, them because yeah. I, I always think that benefits others and perhaps that periods, periods of anxiety had on your life and how have you managed to overcome those challenges because I so, think that's the important bit so when I was in my early 20s, so you know, like I'm 48 now, and so in my early 20s, uh, I was diagnosed with ME, so or post-viral post fatigue syndrome, and, and it manifested itself as mild depression and anxiety and... Uh, and then it's you know over the years it's led to bouts of insomnia and it and it ebbs and flows, mm. and and I took treatment for it. I've 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 taken I've been medicated for it. That didn't work for me in particularly. I know it works for a lot of people. It just yeah. wasn't a solution that I liked. Um, I've done therapy, which I thought was amazing, and I've learnt to recognise when. I can feel a, a bout of mild, I, I call it mild depression because I'm sure people suffer for a far worse worse version yeah. of it than I do. But I can see it coming. I can see this cloud looming over me. And I've developed mechanisms and personal tips, uh, personal way. Mindfulness is a great tool that I use. Mm. Uh, I go running an awful lot just to keep my mind busy and active and thinking. I spend an awful lot of time thinking, just yeah. meditating. Not meditating, but well, I suppose it is. Yeah, meditating. So I've, I've learned to deal with it over the years. Now, yeah. there have been times when I've not dealt with it particularly well. And I'm, and I'm looking back towards a time, probably around 2014, 2015, um, Silicon Beach was all-encompassing. Yeah. And so much of my identity was tied up in Silicon Beach. Me and Silicon Beach were, were yeah. synonymous with each other. And, and I think I let it get, take, get, get away from me a little bit. And, and it had a really detrimental effect on my family life. Mm. So actually in 2016, my wife and I split up. And I partly put that down to me becoming you know almost manically obsessed with me and my identity kind of ego got in the way absolutely my ego was off the chart yeah i mean it's off the chart most days but, <laughs> but in 2015 2016 it was on another level and 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 my wife had to suffer with that, and the kids mm. bore the brunt of it. And you know, I I became so disconnected from the family yeah. unit. And it's easily done, isn't it? Yeah. Unfortunately, it's not. You know, you just get caught up in your own hype sometimes. And and it so so August twenty sixteen, my wife and I split up, um, and then it was kind of twenty eighteen. When I really settled into therapy, like I went out. And that was the wake-up call. Yeah. So, so I, I, I engaged in, in a quite an intense period of, of, of cognitive behavioural therapy, which was amazing. And, and I saw the world in a new way. 
the the light the the lights were switched yeah. on. It was always like ah, I could I see where and that and it was at that time that I stopped Silicon Beach. I pulled the plug on it. Yeah. Um, and again, that then led to another period of, of depression because my identity uh, I lost. Well, it's sense, easy to know that that was the thing doing some self. of the, the, the damage, but to switch it off then creates a whole different yeah. kind of set of things. And then, but then, weirdly, I come through this, and all the while I'm being so I'd, I'd, I'd met someone else, I was being supported by it. She was wonderful, an amazing woman uh, who happened to run a, a well-being consultancy. Okay. So, um, so I was <laughs> getting coached all the way through that, and then she and I, I split up. At which point. Um, my wife and I, although we had divorce papers, we hadn't signed them. And we started dating again. Amazing. Obviously, we'd stayed friends because of the kids and we'd recognised each other's uh, each other's part that we played in the, in the downfall of our marriage. So, yeah, Christmas, it was around Christmas 2019, we'd started dating again. And then lockdown happened <laughs> in the Easter uh, which was a godsend for us in many ways. Yeah. You know, I don't want to take anything away from all the terrible, terrible things that went Clearly. on around the world, but uh, but for us, it meant I moved back into the family home. We had a family unit, and we were we were locked within the same walls for a year. <laughs> you know, if we yeah. can't if we can't survive that, or yeah. if we can survive come that, through this. Yeah. we can survive anything. So, yeah, that you know the 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 perils of an entrepreneurial life certainly took its toll yeah um but i am incredibly fortunate that i've come through at the other side yeah thank you for sharing that that's all right you know i i i uh, i did a video for dorset mind actually that was probably 2017 again probably at quite a low point for me um but i did a video for dorset mind because i'd said to them i'm i'm a exuberant bumblebee of a person i am you know when people see me i am this eternally positive optimistic happy looking guy you know i've got an unbearable laugh incredibly loud um it might surprise people to know that i suffer from mental health issues and if by me speaking about it can help someone else then I, then i'm also it's really that. important it's the, I, i've got no shame attached to it no. i'm i'm there is no there is no shame no that's, exactly that's the point yeah that is, that no is the point definitely definitely so what the mat i have before me today how is he now different having gone through those experiences <laughs> you know reconciled back with the family and realized some of the kind of you know errors mistakes or uh, things that weren't going right how different is the mat i have before me today to the one that i would have met in 2015 oh uh well i'd like to say perhaps i should ask your wife <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah honestly I, I don't know if i i don't i'm more i'm more aware i guess i'm i'm more aware but whether or not that's because of the, the experience i've had or if that's just an age thing yeah, you know it's maturity it's thing. maturity i've got teenage kids now so I'm looking at my teenage kids thinking, oh, Christ. Yeah. Right, I, you know, they, I need to be some kind of, I mean, I probably should have thought this long ago, but I need to be some kind of, um, of, of, of barometer for them. I need, they, I, they need to see good, good behaviour and good activity reflected yeah. in, in the people around them. So maybe I'm, I'm doing a bit more of that. I am certainly more diplomatic than I ever was. You know, I tended to have 
uh, no filter, so my mouth runs away with okay. me. I, I always used to think I've got I've got thick skin and wide shoulders. I can take anything yeah. anyone's going to throw at me, and I just assumed that everyone else was the same. I'm now very aware that they're not. Yeah. So maybe I choose my words a bit wiser than I did before, but but. You know, none of my none of my enthusiasm has been diminished. If if anything, uh, it's on steroids. Yeah. You know, right now with the sun shining, a new job, all of these great opportunities that I see ahead of me. I yeah, I'm on fire. Fantastic. Well, that's <laughs> good to hear. And watch this space, listeners. <laughs> Matt is on fire. Um, so as we start to kind of come to the end, just a few sort of quick short answers yep what qualities do you look for the people look for in people that work with you uh it's got to be integrity and trustworthiness right yeah i i remember doing a a video with a young girl over in portsmouth and she asked me what my three business ethics were and number one of those was i've got to like the people i'm working with so you know if i if if i don't like you then there's going to be somewhere along the way the project or whatever we're working on we are going to come to blows about it i can disagree with you yeah. but i've got to like you there's got to be i've got to trust that you share the same integrity that i do so that's it i think you know technical skills you can teach it's those intangible soft skills and i want to know that 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 person is as as committed to whatever we're working on as I am. Yeah, you're in it together. Yeah, with yeah. Honesty and integrity. I love that. I did say some quick, sharp questions, <laughs> okay, but sorry, this may I, be a I'm... big one. No, this one may be a big one. So I apologise. Where do you think the creative and digital sector is going? Ooh. Right. So if you, I'm going to be that person that states the bleeding obvious. Okay, but but then I'm going to put it in context. Okay. The internet has changed everything. <laughs> an, e- an easy sweeping statement to make. But what I mean by that, and certainly from a creative agency as, as, a, as a supplier of services point of view, is back, at the, back in the early 2000s when, when Web 1.0 and the internet was first you know, really taking force, it was, it was a black box of secrets that no one knew about. You had to go to an expert to deliver something for you. Web 2.0 has come along and it suddenly became about um, democratization of, of anyone can do anything. So now we're at this position where, you know, Anyone can put a Facebook ad together. They've taken or they've they've leveled the playing field apparently in terms of the skill set you need. So everyone's become an expert. I can look up anything and everything I want. If I want to do it myself, I'm going to do it myself. And what's happened is is the value we ascribe to someone delivering a service is diminishing. And I think that's a bad mm. thing, you know. Yeah, I could launch a Facebook ad, but it's going to be useless compared to a, an agency that specialises in Facebook ads. And they, then I've got someone who's going to charge me £250 a day and someone who's going to charge me £800 a day. And I've got no way of demonstrating... Kind of what understanding the, where that knowledge... Exactly. Yeah, that and and so th- that little bit of knowledge is a bad thing because now I suddenly see, well, I can do that. So I'm going to go with the 250 guy because the people charge me 800 pounds. They're clearly ripping me off when actually that's probably not the case. Yeah. 
So, so I think the way that we're going to see the agency landscape change is, we've already seen it. There's been an explosion of small agencies. We're going to see more and more specialist niche agencies that are really, really good at one thing. And we're going to find, they're going to find ways in which they can connect and work with other agencies. So I, I'm then going to have like a, a social agency, a strategy agency, a, a web build agency, a design agency, all small three, four, five man bands. And what you're going to need is someone above them. Plugging it all together. Plugging it all together. Now, what would be wonderful uh, would be if the people plugging it all together were the marketing directors inside the clients. Yeah. That actually they become uh, better educated about how to manage these projects. Now, the problem they've then got is managing a bunch of relationships with a bunch of creative people is like herding cats. Yeah. And they've got a day job of marketing whatever yeah, they're company accountable. they're yeah. Yeah, they're accountable to results. So, yeah. so that's where that's where I think the tension lies. And the guys that are going to do it really well are the businesses that recognise marketing is more than one person, that social media is not marketing, that product and price and place and promotion all work together, and that marketing requires a department. It requires more than one people. Now... Where what I was doing previously as wise old uncle was I was that person, mm. and it meant that I would come in and I'd do a day a week with someone. I I would be the add-on to your to your marketing director. I'm the strategy guy. I've got the connections. I'll help you manage that. And I think we're going to see a rise in those roles. Uh, okay, it's interesting. Great insight. Even there. though I've just stepped out of doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so final question for you, Matt. You know. What does success mean for you with everything you've learned and the journey you've been on? What's personal success now mean for you? Uh, personal success, this smile on my face. Okay. You know, it's simple as that. It's as simple as that. I, I, I did get asked this um, in a conversation probably about three months ago. It was, it was with, a, with a, a finance director of a company and I was, I was pitching to do some work with them and, the, and they asked that question, what does success look like? And I was like, well, it, it looks like the mortgage being paid and the kids being fed. And and like, but how many holidays do you want? It's like, I haven't been on holiday in six, seven years. I, I'm not that bothered by it. I, li I live in Bournemouth. I don't, I don't need to go on holiday. I want success is freedom. Success is freedom to, to, to work on projects that excite me. Success is the ability to surround myself with interested like-minded uh, enthusiastic people success is seeing my kids blossom and knowing that there is going to be a world or a job for them to inhabit that's that's success brilliant thank you i've loved our conversation <laughs> Matt. i could probably go on for ages but we have you've hit the limit so um, I'm sure we'll continue our discussion after we switch off the recording it's yeah, been yeah. a great discussion to have with you good luck Thank in the you. new role with uh, Bournemouth University if you have half the success you did in the role with the Enterprise Pavilion you'll make a big impact on the conurbation that's very so, nice of you to say thanks so for having so good me. luck with that new role if people do want to connect with you learn more about your role at the university and engage with the university where can they go uh, I would say the best place would be LinkedIn 
Okay. Find me on LinkedIn. Matt Desmere. Matt Desmere on LinkedIn. Perfect. There you are. Thank you for being a great guest. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.